He says that he's an a-hole, but he's not, and I'm quoting him here, 100% a dick. Welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenting, and marriage. I am Barry Liga, and across from me is Morgan Baden. Hello, Morgan. Hi, Barry. How are you? I'm good. Great. We are actually recording a little bit early tonight. We are. Which is a strange feeling for us. We had an early dinner. We're going to actually talk about (laughs) dinner soon. But first of all, I just wanted to quickly do a little follow-up. Again, this is (laughs) follow-up to our follow-up. We've talked in the past couple of episodes about the New York Times bestseller list and particularly about the young adult list and how strange it is for various reasons. And we heard from Melissa, hi Melissa, (laughs) who was kind enough to point us to a Twitter exchange where Pamela Paul, who uh, works at the New York Times, purportedly explained why the YA list is so strange as compared to the adult list. Mm -hmm. And this explanation seemed to be that the YA list contains, combines ebooks, paperbacks, and hardcovers, mm-hmm. whereas the adult list is broken into uh, paperback and hardcover. And that this explains why there are so many books, well, every book on the YA list has been there for at least a year or more. And that's, that's true. I mean, you know, paperback sales tend to be higher than hardcover sales. So, yeah, you know, a, a, a book easily, if it's doing very well in hardcover and then switches over to paperback, once you start combining those sales, it's going to stay on the list. I just, I don't think that's the I just, whole story there. Yeah, well, yeah. the thing is, she said that the reason they do this is because that way they can break out middle grade and young adult. I don't understand what that has to do with anything. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why you had, why combining all those sales allows you to separate by age group. Yeah. Now, unless it's a political concern where it's, well, otherwise we would be forced to do middle grade paperback, middle middle grade hardcover, young adult paperback, young adult hardcover, and that's four lists and we can't do four. So we made the decision to do two. Yeah. One middle grade, one YA, and just to combine everything. In that case, that's a decision the Times made that is not required and I think I still think it's a weird decision and a bad decision, and I think it's it's really misleading. And, and I, I still think that the bestseller list is problematic, not because there's anything magical about that list, but because it's like I said last week, one of the few public metrics that anybody has. And until there's other metrics, it, it's it's unfortunately really important. Yeah, it's data, but it feels like very bad data, and it feels like we're never going to find out how the data gets. <laughs> Collated, so so it's just as strange to us still. Yeah, it's yeah. it's still very strange. I'm still not satisfied. I would still love to see somebody come up with something better. But thanks, Melissa, for pointing us to that exchange. Yes, thank you very much, Melissa. We will put a link to that exchange in our world-famous show notes. <laughs> thank you, everybody. So, now on to new things. Uh, listeners of this show, longtime listeners of this show, may be aware that we have a baby. <laughs> they may know that. Breaking news. Breaking news. So, we have a baby. She is an awesome baby. She's pretty damn good. She's pretty freaking awesome. And I wanted to talk a little bit. I wanted to talk about food a little bit because we've talked in the recent past about how, you know, she's eating solid food now. She's eating, like, chunks of food. And tonight, we went out to an early dinner with her. Yeah. And it was an Italian restaurant, and she just 
ate off of our plates, ate, basically. Ate, and she ate, ate, ate so much. She had meatballs for the first time. She had sausage. She had beets. She had, what else? She had goat um, cheese. Yeah, she had pesto. She had pesto. On potatoes and some pasta. Right on pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she had, And then plus this afternoon at lunch, she had a little tiny piece of bacon for the yeah, first time. yep. And a little piece of veggie burger for the first time. Veggie too. burger, which she loved. Yeah. You know, it's been a big day. I should say, she loves everything we've given her. She does. She, uh, she has an uncritical palate, shall we say. <laughs> I think she the only loves thing it all. She doesn't love bananas. Yeah, bananas. She yeah. Seen, but it's been a while since we've given yeah, her bananas, yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm not too sure. But she seems to like everything we give her. And I am thrilled. I'm tickled. I love giving her food. I it's love watching. So- Fun, I love her pick food yeah, and put it in her mouth. Her little tiny fingers around. just pick it up and she looks at it for a second and then she puts it in her stuffs it in her mouth. Mm-hmm. It's adorable. She's also figured out my favorite is on the high chair. If something's too slippery, so like a, a little piece of strawberry or right. something like that, it's hard for her to grasp. She's devised a way of pushing the food to the side of the high chair right. and then up and over the ledge where she catches it with her finger and right. then puts it in. Right. So she's, she's very smart. She's very cunning. I'm not biased at all. No, no. That's I mean, the mark that's, of a genius. That is genius. So, you know, I, I enjoy this. I love this. There is a part of me that every time we give her something new thinks... Is this when we break our baby? Like I keep expecting, I keep expecting some sort of negative consequence yeah. for the very casual laissez-faire attitude we have towards what we give her to eat. I mean, we just give her anything and everything except for honey. We know you can't yeah. give babies honey, but you know our doctor said give her anything, so we give her anything and everything. And I keep expecting projectile vomiting mm. or or some kind of re- allergic reaction or an allergic reaction or projectile pooping yeah. or or even just for her to hate something so much that she spits it out and starts crying right. but nothing has yeah. happened so are we just leading a charmed life <laughs> like i don't where, well, where, it's why is this happening i it's funny that you are you seem to be waiting all the time for an adverse reaction i'm waiting all the time for her to choke yeah. So I I she I love watching her eat and I love feeding her, but I'm finding it hard to actually enjoy it as I'm doing it because right. I'm quite literally sitting sitting on the edge of my chair waiting for her to choke and like already two steps ahead in my head in my brain figuring out what my steps would be like. Yeah. Okay, unbuckle the high chair, scoop her out, you know. And I, I, it's I funny know. because I mean, obviously, I'm always alert to the possibility of her choking. Uh-huh. But I don't worry about that as a negative consequence because we've been giving her chunks of stuff for a couple of weeks now. And she I, she has shown yeah, that she, she knows what she's doing. Now, yeah. obviously, she's a baby. Anything can happen. But, you know, there was one time, you know, she has a tendency to pick up a piece of food, shove it in her mouth, and then pick up the next piece. Right. You know, because God knows you can't, there can't be any delay. <laughs> there can be no sejura between one piece going in and the next piece going in. And I remember one time she picked up a piece and shoved it in her mouth. And it was a little bigger than... Yeah. Than the usual piece of food. And she, of course, picked up another piece immediately. And she had it poised at her mouth. And then she sort of got this look on her face like, oh, this is going to take a second. Oh. And she kept chewing yeah. the first piece. Yeah. You know, she'd had a rhythm going of insert, chew, insert, chew, right, insert, yeah. chew. And this was insert, wait, chew, chew, wait, chew, chew, wait, chew. now. Yeah. And, and again, there was a look on her face where I could tell she realized I got to put in some work on this Do one. Do you know why she realized that? Because she's a genius. Because she's a genius. (laughs) We've had her tested. She is a genius. Her IQ is off the charts. She's going to solve cold fusion in kindergarten. (laughs) Um, I think it's really cute that we're talking about food because today, the day we're recording this, is Julia Child's birthday. Is it? It is. So that just feels like a cute thing. Julia Child. 
Hey. Oh, there you go. That great connection. I just made that great connection. Anyway, it's really, really fun being. Uh, this parenting stage is super fun yeah. because it, it's just all about experimenting with food and, and she loves it. And, and, it's great. and we really are very fortunate. She's so good. Oh, she, she's so she was great. in two restaurants today and she was good as gold in both of them. Everybody loved her. The yeah. wait staff loved her. The people around were waving at her and cause she's just a good kid. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. That's great. So I, I do want to talk a little bit more about, about kids and parenting actually, because there was a story that you heard from a friend of yours who has yeah. a child a little a little younger, a few weeks younger than Leia. And this past week was her first week back at work. Yes. So shout out to my friend. Um, who shall remain nameless. Yes. Only because I don't know if I, I haven't asked her if I can share this story. But <gasps> <laughs> um, anyway, so she was literally on her first day back at work in the elevator going up to her floor when a fellow she works with who is known for being kind of on the rude side um, said to her, basically, what are you doing back so early? And she said, well, my baby's 10 months old. So it's not that early, essentially. Right. And he said, but don't you feel guilty? You should feel guilty. Like, basically, just laying, (laughs) you know, millennia of lady guilt on top of her for daring to come back to work. And lady guilt is heavy. Heavy. Yeah, yeah, people don't realize. They put lipstick on it. That that weighs you down. <laughs> so, anyway, so it was just uh, you know I, I just wanted to to say like solidarity to my friend because every every single woman and probably every parent too right. grapples with this kind of guilt, uh, no matter what you're doing, staying at home, going back to work, going back to work part time, starting your own business, uh, whatever, and it really sucks. Yeah. And, but really what I think is so funny about that particular exchange is the guy who said this to her does not have any children and right. is not married. So what the hell does he know? So A, what does he know? And like, B, why would you, like, uh, where is even your role in that conversation or right. in that lifestyle approach? Like, it's just so strange to me. Like, so I started thinking of the things that non-parents think about parents or about parenthood. Right. Um, and I remember when my sister had her kids a few years ago, obviously before I was a parent and she was a stickler for a routine, which is a great thing. Now I know that now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember at the time being like, Oh God, get over your routine, live a little. (laughs) It's just a baby. It's fine. Yada, yada. Why are you making everything so difficult? Whatever. And of course now I'm kicking myself because like, first of all, first of all, how dare I like think that about a new parent and where was I even coming from? Like, why did I think that I knew more about parenting her child than she did? Right. So, anyway. yeah, there's people who seem to think that, that they know that. And I think we tend to think that the people who are parents themselves are the worst because right. they're all the ones who are like, well, when my kids were that age, well, and we I did blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But yeah, people who aren't parents and we can say this because we both were not parents and had siblings who were parents yeah. and said slash did slash thought unkind things towards them yeah. while they were parents and now realize, wow, we were sort of being dicks yeah. to them. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Not 100% dicks. <laughs> Do you believe him? Well, I don't know that I believe anyone's 100% a dick, man. Oh my God. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the podcast audience, Morgan Baden has just made her first comic book movie reference 
But this is all my on, second comic book reference of the week. Second comic book reference of the week, but first comic book reference on the podcast. <laughs> uh, granted, she just saw Guardians of the Galaxy last night, so it's not that impressive. We'll see a year from now if she still remembers that line. It was a very funny exchange and a great but, movie, by the way, and I appreciate you making me see it. So thank you. <laughs> but I cannot believe you just did that. Wow. Anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, it, it, it's tough. But, you know, one of the things, it's funny you, you bring this up, because I, I think most parents are annoyed when people try to give them advice, obviously depending on the tone of the advice. Yeah, yeah. But there's something also I've come to think of as sort of anti-advice okay. that people give. And gloriously, <laughs> with great synchronicity, it happened today at lunch <laughs> where we were out with Leia and some other folks. And we have this sort of, I don't know the right word for it. It's like, it's like a condom for a high chair. It's like a slip cover <laughs> a for a high chair. chair. You put it on there so that other people's baby drool doesn't get on your baby, basically. But I, I mean, it's partly for cleanliness reasons, but also, I think, for comfort reasons. Sure, it's, like, it's a little padded. It's got a little padding and, to yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, this is our first time using it. Yeah. We bought it a while back, and we hadn't had an opportunity to use it until this afternoon. So I went ahead, and I'm trying to put this... this this condom thing on this slip cover on the high chair and it was it wasn't making sense the way it was it was fitting so then we put leia on the chair and i couldn't figure out how to get the the straps from the high chair through the slip cover to to buckle. buckle her in to the high chair and i was muttering under my breath saying something like this doesn't make sense i can't get this to work and, and what's what, funny by the way it was it was only i mean it's not like you were spending hours on right it. right it, it was, only it was about seconds. like 30 seconds yeah. where i'm trying to figure this, like I, and i wasn't stressed about it i was just kind of like i was puzzled i was like how, how does this work and one of the people we were with said oh she's fine don't worry about it don't worry about it she's fine and you don't thought. don't tell me what not to worry about. <laughs> I'm the goddamn father. I can worry about whatever I want to worry about. And it's funny because I think most of the things that that tend we tend to think about that bother us as parents are people telling us what to do yeah. and what to worry about. You know, oh my, you don't have your baby bundled up. You don't have a hat on your baby. Right. It, it's 55 degrees outside. Right, you don't right. have a hat on your baby. You know, those sorts of things. And this is just one of those, like, no, if I'm going to worry about buckling her into the high chair, that's what I've decided to worry about. Yeah. Get off my back. Yeah. And that that bothered me. Yeah. That really bugged me. And and I think, you know, it can be just as annoying to have people who are too laissez-faire right, about it versus too concerned, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I just wanted to get that out there. And I don't know what you think about that or if you even noticed it. I didn't notice it. That's funny. Um, I tend to think, you know, there were several things in the in the first few months of Leia's life where uh, I was super panicked about something, and my mom or my sister, who has a kid, would say like, "It's okay, you can right. do it this way," and or you don't need to worry about that so much, yada yada. And I actually appreciated that because right. I was such a ball of stress that to me it was like, "Oh, good, someone's giving me permission to stop worrying about this stupid little thing that All I've been right. worrying about." But I think also that's a different. What you just described is a little different because that's somebody saying somebody saying from a breadth of experience, hey, this particular issue yeah. isn't what you think it is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. you know, as opposed to, oh, I can't figure out how to buckle this. Oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Like, no, I'm trying to buckle the chair. Like, right. just, yeah. yeah. You know, I feel like that's different. Yeah. I, so I have a friend right now who's six months pregnant. And it was very cute because she emailed me and a bunch of her other friends who all have kids. And I'm not close with 
these other friends. Some of them I don't know at all. And it ended up turning into this big sort of like advice exchange, Uh. which was really cool because it was moms from all over the country, uh, suburban, city. You know, it was just really neat to hear everyone talking about things. And my friend explicitly asked, like, send me your lists of what you think I do need versus don't need. Like, you know, compared to what all the magazines and the websites tell you. I hope you told her the most important thing that she needs is a wipe warmer. Well, here's the funny thing is I wrote back and said, you do not need a wipe warmer, but she's having a boy. And all the moms of boys chimed in and said, oh, yes, you do. Huh. Because apparently the cold wipes and the cold air makes boys pee when they are exposed to that cold air. And you lay a warm wipe over them and that doesn't happen. People need to understand about this wipe warmer, by the way. <laughs> Which is that... I'm looking at it right now, by the way. <laughs> early early in our days as parents, Morgan, who was whacked out on lack of sleep and pregnancy hormones... But do you even know where this came from? My mom said to me, you guys don't have a wipe warmer? You should well, get and one. Then, and then you read something about it. Yeah. And you became convinced that we were doing a horrible disservice to our daughter by, not having, by not having a wipe warmer. And you went I insane did. about it. And we ordered a wipe warmer... And by the time it got here, we realized that she no, did not it's care. No, it wasn't a, the time. You're telling the story all wrong. Oh, right? I'm sorry. And tell the story right. So we were approaching winter. It's cold in our apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom said in passing, I'm surprised you guys don't have a wipe swimmer. Like, I think it was more along the lines of you have everything else. Thanks, like, Denise. <laughs> So we ordered a wipe warmer. It was, For like, not it was like $500. <laughs> and um, basically just never set it up, essentially. And then when I went to go set it up a few weeks later after it had arrived, it felt very complicated and also it felt a little bit dangerous because it was you were supposed to plug it in and there was also supposed to be water in there. And it, and it was made out of plastic. Yeah, it just the whole thing scared me. And I was like, I don't want to leave this on next to my baby's crib. Like, right. it's, it's freaking me out. And apparently like, it dries out regularly yeah. and then it can burn the wipes yeah. or dry out the wipes when it dries out. So you have to be, keep checking it. And it was just a big headache. So we kept putting off setting it up. And then finally, finally one day you realized it's winter. I've been wiping my baby with... God forbid, room Room temperature wipes, wipes. (laughs) and everything is fine. And so the wipe warmer went in a corner. So here's the funniest thing about the wipe warmer, is that it's been sitting in in a little gift bag here in our office. I'm literally looking at it right now, because once we decided we didn't want it... We tried to foist it it off on somebody else. I did. I posted it for sale on the Park Slope Parents Board. Twice, people said they would buy it, made a date to come by and pick it up, and then fail to show up. I just want to say they failed to show up because their husbands said to them, <laughs> are you crazy? We don't need a wipes warmer. And unlike you, they listened. So I'm actually just going to give it to my friend who is having a boy. There she you doesn't go. know that, but there you go, Van. You're there getting you this go. damn wipes warmer that has literally never been used and is just sitting here collecting Spoiler them. alert. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we got that out. Anyway, advice. You can take it. You can leave it. Sometimes it drives you crazy. Yeah. I always err on the side of tell me more versus less. I mean, I guess I feel like I I feel like when you ask for advice or when it's part of the conversation, that doesn't bother me. When it's you know I'm well, it felt very dismissive. When when, yeah, it felt dismissive, and you know, like if I'm dangling Leia upside down by her ankles, and somebody just says you shouldn't do that, like. No, like, we're not talking about that. I'm doing it. I'm the father. Everything's fine. She's enjoying herself. Like, I, I, when it's unsolicited, you know? like Wait, no. No, I disagree with this. 
you're saying if you walk by a parent who is doing something I'm, dangerous I'm to deliberately kid. using a very ridiculous, facetious <laughs> example. But there will come a day when I dangle her upside down by no, her ankles. No, there won't, FYI. Of course there will. Yeah, when she's 10. No. Anyway. You dangle your niece and nephew upside down all the time, and they're not 10. They're gymnasts. Well, there you go. <laughs> anyway. That's that's how it is. I feel like feel like it, like that sort of advice should be given during an open exchange when you're when you're dis- it should be part of a discussion, not just a an insertion into the conversation, like sort of a passive aggressive. You're well, doing it no wrong. No one wants unprompted, right? Like I told you so. Yeah, kind of advice, exactly. So. Okay. All right. Moving on from baby, let's talk about writing. Let's do it. Let's talk about Friday Night Lights. Yeah, let's a, do it. A wonderful TV show that we both enjoyed. A great show. I'd actually really like to rewatch it. In fact, we we had uh, one of our earliest dates. Yeah. The first the... time I cooked for you yep. was the season premiere of the last season of Friday Night Lights. You yep. came over and I cooked dinner for you. Yeah. Um, it was a good dinner, too. It was a really good dinner. And just because I really liked you, I bought wine. Like, wow. normally wow. I don't bother because no I don't drink, house, but normally. yeah. So anyway... Uh, you found a wonderful interview with the author of the book, mm-hmm. Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Some people may not know there was a book that a movie was based on and the TV show was based on on the movie as well. So there was a great interview with him and he he talks about feeling like a one-hit wonder mm-hmm. because he wrote Friday Night Lights and it did so well. It sold millions of copies. And then he wrote another book. It was called uh, Prayer for the City, mm-hmm. which he felt was his his best work. work. He just felt like, my God, like this is the book I was meant to write. And it sold like tens of thousands of copies. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, and no one knows about it. And no one knows. I didn't know about it until, until you brought up this interview, uh, you know, orders of magnitude less than Friday night lights. And, and he's very candid about feeling like a failure because of that. And so I guess, can we read this quote? I think it's such a good quote. Yeah. Why don't you, since you're the one who found it. Okay. Uh, so he says, um, when, when people ask him whether he watches Friday Night Lights and he says no and they say why not, he says, because I didn't want to hear about it anymore because when the book came out, writing the book was delicious. What I miss the most is that magic moment of being young and innocent and my kids are young and here you are, you know, it's a great story. I miss that intensity of connection. But the book came out. It was a big bestseller. It came out of nowhere. The reviews were incredible. It kept selling and kept selling and kept selling. Then the movie comes out and it sells more and more and more, about 2 million copies. But I've written other books. I wrote a book about Philadelphia that I feel was my best book, A Prayer for the City. Friday Night Lights, 2 million copies, A Prayer for the City, about 42,000 copies. It was hard. It was hard because I felt like a one-hit wonder. I felt like sort of the nonfiction equivalent of the high school quarterback. All these cheers, all these accolades, it got to me. It gnawed at me, and that feeling increased where I felt an intense feeling of failure. Wow. So what did you think of that? So, I, first of all, I really wanted to explore this idea of, obviously, as a writer, you're producing lots of different work hopefully hopefully lots of books yeah and what happens when the book that you don't think is your best work is the one that gets all the credit and that's the one that's your legacy that's the one you're going to be remembered for but you think there's better stuff you can do better you have done better uh and that's that must be a really sort of strange feeling to to have to ride um what i mean do you think you you think that you have a single best book that you've written? 
Do you not? Um, well, you know, I'll tell you what's frustrating for me mm-hmm. is I have a book that I have been trying to get published for years now. Yeah. Um, people who follow my blog will know it as the book that will kill me. It's a very long, crazy book. It is, yeah. And I think, it, I think you know, of all the things I have written, it is the one that most deserves the capital A in art. Okay. When when talking about it, and it is my passion. I pulled my heart out of my chest to write that book, and you know, quite frankly, I can't get anybody to publish it. Yeah. It's and and the most frustrating thing, I I could deal with it if they said, ah, it's just not for me. I don't like it. Whatever. I mean, I've had multiple editors say this is genius. Like this is a work of genius. This mm-hmm. is brilliant. It's not me saying that. I'm not saying that about myself. This is what other people have said. And what is frustrating is then the next thing out of their mouth is there's just no way I can publish it. And part of that is for very practical purposes. It's a thousand-page book. It's a thousand-page book. I understand. There are thousand-page books out there. Absolutely. But I understand. But it is enormously frustrating to say, wow, the best thing I have ever written, there is a chance nobody will ever read it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's very, very frustrating. And he's not in the same situation, but he might as well be. The difference between 2 million copies and and 42,000 copies, it might as well be that nobody has read A Prayer for the City. Which now, I want to read that. Totally. So I will probably read that book now. But And it's also interesting because... um, So Friday Night Lights had a movie and then a television show. Yeah. And even if... If that was just it, and like it sold a bunch of copies and had those things, and his next book also had some of those things like had one or the other like also sold an equivalent amount of copies or also had some movie or tv show made out of it like i'm sure he wouldn't feel quite this way but the fact that it's such a stark difference such a stark difference yeah i mean you know i've had the experience you know my first book came out and did very well and my second book i thought was better than the first one okay i liked the first book just fine don't get me wrong but i just felt like the second book was just a lot better i felt like i'd really come into my own and i really sort of knew what i was doing now and the second book sold really poorly it had terrific reviews uh the critical acclaim was very nice but it just did not sell that well and that was really you know it takes about a year before you know how your book is selling and i remember getting that first royalty statement a year later and looking at it and going wait like this is this is the book everybody's been talking about. This is the one that got five-starred reviews. This is the one that that you know people are going gaga for, but nobody bought it. And so, yeah, it's a really weird feeling. And it's a really stark reminder that you have no control yeah. over this stuff. I was just going to say, I, I, if there's any lesson here, it's that, and this is so much easier said than done, but like when you're writing or doing any artistic endeavor as a career or as how you earn your keep, like... You have to remember to do it because, uh, like, you're you're responsible for how you feel about the finished product. Right. And whatever its effect on the world, you have no control over its effect on the world. So you better be happy with the works as they stand alone. Right. And that's all you can do. And, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, you have, you have zero control. Yeah. You have zero influence. You know, Stephen King wrote the definitive novel about this. Yeah. With Misery. Yeah. You know, this poor guy who was writing these, these sort of, uh, they were like romance novels in a way, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, about this, this woman named Misery 
and he was famous for them and making tons of money, but he hated them and he wanted to write real literature and he tried to do that. And what happened? A, a fan kidnapped him and cut his feet <laughs> off. You know, I mean, that's sort of, yeah. that's sort of, you know, the most extreme yeah. expression of this angst that authors have about yeah. the tension between what readers like and what authors want to produce. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I don't know what answers there are for that. I mean, it's it's very strange and it's it's frustrating and and like you said, all you can do is try to make each book something that you're proud of. Yeah. So that if when one takes off and the other one, you know, dies, mm-hmm. you at least you know feel good that something did well. Right. And 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 feel good and still feel proud of that book. Yeah. I mean the worst scenario would be if you sort of just hacked something out and that took off yeah. and the stuff you that you felt passionate about did terribly and then you'd be like, God, I, I don't even like that book that did right. well. Yeah. You know, that would that would be the worst. Yeah. So anyway, it's a really good interview with the author. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. So that people can see that. So yeah, great interview with H.G. Bissinger. Who we wrote, think we're pronouncing his name right. I think right. so. Who wrote FNL. Uh, and the interview was on NPR. So yeah. we'll link to it. We'll put the links in. And not only did he write FNL, he also wrote A Prayer for the City. He did Which indeed. people should probably read. And I'm going to read that. I'm going to... You, you'll, you'll hear me talk about that at some point in a future episode. Nice. So let us give people an update. Yeah. Where do we stand? Where do you stand right now with your work? Um, I'm going... It's all it's all going well, I think. Um, I said to you last night. I, I worked for a little bit last night. It's funny because I've been working in basically half hour increments every okay. night or every other night, which is just what I've been able to swing. Last night, for some reason, I feel like I had a lot more time, so I finished my half hour increment, and I was like ready to. And, and by the way, that's all estimated. Like I don't stop at the thirty minute right. mark exactly mid sentence, um, but it all it tends to sort of work in in those chunks. Um, so I finished half an hour ish last night and I went to go close my computer and then I was like, why am I closing my computer? Keep going. It's like eight 30 at night. Right. You got nothing to do. Keep going. Like you're in the groove. So yeah. I did, which is really good. And then I also realized too, like, I think I'm like three hours away, which means probably about a week, week and a half, maybe. Yeah. Let's say two weeks, which is okay. right on, right on target of That's what I was fine. thinking end of the month. But, um, but there's a, I really wish that I had an opportunity to just sit down and just go through like for two or three hours one day and, and then do it. So, um, which I do if I really like, if I, you know, come home from work one day and put the, hang out with the baby, put her to bed and then basically like, don't talk to you and then just come close myself off in here in the office and and do it, which I could do. I don't like talking to you that much. So but then I would be lonely. (laughs) I might cry. (laughs) Anyway, my point is it's within sight. Like I can see the finish line, which is super exciting. And I, I, I'm very excited. I am very excited, too. I cannot wait to see this. God. I cannot wait. The pressure. <laughs> there's no pressure. There is. There's pressure on, uh, like, there's pressure on me. You know, an author was saying uh, over Twitter yesterday, or the day before, that she's really excited to read my book. And I, I was like, that's so nice to say. But now, like, great. And that's <laughs> what, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but, like, to be open about the fact that you're in the middle of something, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. And like, you know, I don't want to be sitting here in six months, afraid to bring up the topic of this book because it petered out again, like, or it was right. unsuccessful, or whatever. Because, you know, that would suck. So. Yeah. So anyway, lots of mixed emotions, but I'm almost done. So that's very exciting because I cannot wait to be done. How about you? 
Um, I'm still trucking along on a uh, short story and, uh, well, two short stories, the Billy short story and the other one. It's been slow going. I mean, but I, I have actually found that it takes me longer, you know, relatively to write short fiction than mm. to write a novel. Uh, huh. just because, you know, there's so much you're, you're not talking about and yeah. not saying yeah. it actually takes me longer. And also, you know, there was a, there were a few rough days with Leia during the yeah. day when she was, you know, she had a few days where she just refused to nap and some things like that, or where she was just really off schedule and it sort of messed me up. Mm-hmm. And so I just sort of gave myself those days off, which is something I can do because I work for myself. <laughs> so there's that. Your boss is sometimes a reasonable guy. My, my boss doesn't really pay a lot of attention to what I do, quite frankly. <laughs> He's not really He's on not the a ball. Micromanager. Yeah. So there's that. And then, uh, you know, uh, still on submission yeah. with, with my, with my new novel, which there have been, uh, there's been some interesting nibbles on that, yeah. and uh, you know, hopefully yeah. we'll have that wrapped up sooner rather than later. You know, I, I don't remember if I've ever expressed Liga's law of publishing on this show before, but Liga's law of publishing is that everything in publishing takes three times longer than you think it should, mm-hmm. and if you then multiply by three to see how long it will really take, it'll take three times longer than that. (laughs) So I have to keep reminding myself that everything takes much, much longer than I think it should. So I'm just trying to be Zen about this and just not think about it. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Great. So how about either recommended reading or what are you reading now? I just finished a couple of days ago, tiny little thing features Williams, Ah. which I talked about last week. I loved it. Love, Great. love, love. So it is recommended? It is recommended, and uh, I'm currently not reading anything, only because I literally finished that, I think, on Thursday, and uh, I was flipping through some magazines and some podcasts on my commute on Friday. So, okay. um, But I have a lot of things to uh, to choose from for my next book, so I'm excited. Cool. You? Uh, I finished reading The Library at Mount Char Great. by Scott Hawkins. That is... Uh, that's one f***ed up book. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was very interesting, very imaginative. There was a lot going on in that book. Uh, kudos to you, Scott Hawkins, <laughs> for cramming everything into that book that you managed to cram in. Uh, you know, I think that my next book was going to be Find Me, but I recently decided that I've got to read some James Baldwin. <laughs> I have never read James Baldwin, and I feel like that is... That's just wrong. I feel like I should have. So... I haven't decided what it's going to be yet, but okay. by next week I will know and I will report back on cool. what, what of his I have decided to read. Great. So that is it, except there's one last thing I wanted to talk about. Every week I beg people to rate us on iTunes, and I was talking to a listener one day who was also a friend who said, by the way, how do I rate you on <laughs> iTunes? And I realized people may not know how to rate us on <laughs> iTunes. So I figured I'll give you a quick tutorial. It's very easy. Go to writinginreallife.com. At the top of the page, there is a link that says iTunes. Click on it. Now, one of two things will happen. It's either going to open up iTunes to the Writing in Real Life podcast page, or it's going to open the Writing in Real Life podcast page from iTunes in your browser. Right. If it opens the iTunes app, you can skip this next step. But it's probably going to open it in the browser. When it opens it, opens it in the browser, there will be a button that says View in iTunes. Click on that. That will definitely take you to iTunes. Then click on Reviews, and then you will see there's five little stars. You click on one of those five stars to rate us. I have heard that if you click on anything other than the fifth star, 
it downloads malware to your computer. <laughs> uh, it might overclock your processor and set your computer on fire. So just, I'm not saying that will happen, but just to be safe, out of an abundance of caution, you should probably click on the fifth star. I've heard the same thing. There yeah. you go. Thank you. So it's not just me. So anyway, nice, though. I saw, I didn't realize there were any reviews there. Yeah, there's some very I nice reviews. Three comments that people left and yeah. they were lovely. So yeah. thank you. Listeners. So, and you don't have to leave comments. You can just click on a star yeah, rating yeah. and you know, the fifth star and that's <laughs> fine. If you'd like to leave a comment as well, do that. What this does just, so you know, is this makes it easier for people to find us. Yeah. The, the more ratings there are, the higher iTunes ranks us. And so if somebody types writing podcast, we're higher up in the listing and, and then more people can listen to this this podcasting goodness that we provide. So thank you. Uh, anyway, that's your little tutorial. And uh, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Visit us at writinginreallife.com. Follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Now you know how. And uh, we will talk to you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.